What did you have for breakfast? Five Burroughs pizza from Perry's. Ooh, did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good leftover, isn't it? It is. It's good out of the oven, good leftover. Yep. That's because you had a birthday. My birthday pizza. Thank you. This last couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. How's that feel to be older? <laughs> How old am I? Are you older and wiser or are you just older? I'm medium wiser, mostly older. <laughs> I'll take medium. Okay. Welcome to Just Over the Fence, our monthly podcast where we get to know our friends and neighbors. And today, a very special guest. (laughs) Are you going to introduce him? (laughs) I think you should. Okay. Well, sitting across from me with a piano in front of him is Matt. We've been asked... um, over the last year, I can't believe this is episode or month 14 right. of our podcast, and people have been asking since day one, can Matt play more? Can, can we hear more about how he got into music, more about his life? Mm-hmm. So today is it. Plus, we've had a month. We've had a month. That's the other reason. <laughs> we could probably not add one more person uh, into our uh, agenda this month. Our youngest daughter mm-hmm. uh, had a little uh, bump in the road, and we ended up in Children's Hospital Emergency Room um, with her uh, in and out of consciousness. And we found out about overhydrating. We had no idea. We live in Colorado where you worry about dehydration and mm-hmm. it turns out overhydration is just as dangerous. Right. So, um, it put a little bump in our, our month. <laughs> She's back and running again and, and running four to five miles a day and praise mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, uh, yeah. We made it through with the amazing staff at Children's Hospital in the ICU unit, but um, it took a little bit of our time and energy this month. So we had to go to our backup guest, which is (laughs) (laughs) moi. So those people that have been asking um, will be happy, and and we're back on track next month. I can't wait to have Ryan Soden, extraordinary endodontist slash extraordinary musician. Mm -hmm. What a combo. From Ireland. He's from Ireland. Absolutely. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. He's the best. So, yeah. And talk about humble. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I guess since I've got the piano here, I can just play the little interlude music manually here. Let's do it. (laughs) It's not as exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, here we are. In our lower level, just over the fence headquarters, Matt. I'm just if you kidding. were a tree, <laughs> in all seriousness, mm-hmm. what's your first music memory? A significant music memory where you paused and thought, "Wow, music." Well, I think my earliest memories are around music. My dad plays guitar. And sings, and he played and sang around the house when I was real young. So I have very early memories of him singing. So I was around music in that way. But I will say I was always drawn to pianos. Anytime I saw one, I was like, I want to try that out. My grandparents had pianos. Was it one of those rooms, those special rooms they used to have where nobody really sat on the furniture and there was a piano, a sparkly piano in the room? 
And well, we called it the piano room, didn't we? The well, room? They, we did. I think in this, as I'm remembering, now I was little, so these are long ago memories, but I think the Goldsberries, my uh, mom's parents, had their piano in the living room. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to be able to play that because everybody was sitting there talking and here's Matt. I'm like, Matt. <laughs> I just wanted to try it out. And my grandma, Pyatt, Grandma Wiesner, had, as I recall, had uh, the piano had been moved into her bedroom. Uh-huh. So I was able to play that a little bit more, like at family holidays when we were all together. Okay. You could shut the door and I could play a little bit. But. Yeah. Who did play the piano? In the, the one that was in the living room, I'm just curious. I th- You know, I think Grandma played it. I know my mom took piano lessons because she was my first teacher. Ah. My parents, uh, you know, I need to ask them about this because I, I will say what I know is um, we lived on a farm and did not have a lot of money. But they somehow made a decision to invest in buying a piano. We went to the mall in Des Moines and bought mm-hmm. a piano, a Marantz piano wow and i'm so thankful they did i don't know how they afforded it and then i loved it and they found a way to afford piano lessons wow so uh there's that track but there's also this track of record players and radio i was fascinated with that my youngest memories too i mean i remember watching the record spin and just being fascinated and what's you know the radio there's somebody talking there's music coming out of these speakers yeah and it was a magical thing. And I would tune into late at night with headphones, distant stations on the AM dial from the East Coast. And uh, I think it wasn't Columbia. It must have been the RCA Record and Tape Club. I remember one day a Ronnie Millsap record arrived in the mail. Dad brought it in from the mail. And Mom put it on. The song was Pure Love. Ah. And I still think that's, that's a great record. It's got a ton of energy. And that's what I felt. I was like, oh. Yeah. I, I, I was, it was just magical to me. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. Music is so healing, isn't it? Yeah. Healing, and we really need that right now. So what, what would you say, in a nutshell, music means to you? Hmm. And we're not editing this month as much. We're just rolling tape since it's just the two of us. So. Yeah. I think... Uh, it's a form of communication. It's an important form of communication. You know, it's become a commodity in our world today for sure, you know. Uh, but the best music communicates. And it can communicate the divine. Mm. But it can also communicate something that I couldn't say to you in words, you know. It's... It's that, and it's always done that to me, for me. And hopefully if I'm, if I'm playing well, maybe I'm communicating with somebody else too. Do you see it as a, we all see it as a gift you have. How does that translate to the gift holder of music? Mozart was gifted, but he also probably worked as hard as any musician in history. He killed himself working. So is there a gift? I, for me, I feel like the gift was I wanted to do it. You know, I, time and time again, I hear from parents or kids who say, yeah, I started piano lessons, but I didn't like it, and they wouldn't practice. Well, I did not have a problem wanting to play the piano growing up. And I didn't practice my lessons as much as I should have, but I definitely 
had no problem wanting to play, and that was the gift. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and there have been lots of gifts along the way to to meet Dana Marsh and then Hazel and get to play in that group and gain that experience. Um, that was a gift because I, you know. The only way to really learn in that situation is to jump in and do it, and it was a little rough at first. And uh, I'm thankful to them for the opportunity, but that's a gift. Yeah. You've had so many that you've uh, been able to grow with, and and they saw the gift. I love that you see the gift as wanting to do it. That's a beautiful perspective. But Jude Del Hero, I remember um, with Confluence Ministries, can you talk a little bit about that, how you jumped in with him, too? Sure. We were going to a church, uh, Greenwood Community Church, and he was uh, Michael Jordan, the worship. I mean, he's another, another gift, Yeah, knowing and working with him, yes. for him, yes. worshiping with him. Um, but he was tied in with Jude, and Jude would be around Greenwood. And uh, I ended up playing with him around Denver for a year or so, I'd say. And what song did Jude write before uh, Michael W. Smith recorded it? Yeah, it was. It's more love, more power is yeah. on the Michael W. Smith worship album. Yeah. Jude wrote that, and uh, but Jude, I remember the first time I played with him in Denver. Yeah, you know he he somebody called him the Pied Piper. You know he's like, hey, we're gonna set up on this corner in Denver and play music and just reach out yeah. as a ministry. And the first time I played with him, it was at Harrington Elementary, uh, North Denver. And uh, this was a bike rally for kids. You could bring your bike and get it fixed or, you know, something like that. So you had a bunch of kids riding their bikes around. And I remember we were playing some song, came to an end, and here's these boys looking at Jude. And Jude says, hey, boys, God loves you. And I thought, man, I would, I would follow this guy anywhere. This is, this is great. <laughs> yeah. But that was a great experience too, because he, he attracts great musicians, and I learned a ton playing with them um, about how to loosen up, get off the page, listen more, mm. and be ready to jam because maybe you don't know this song so well. If I'm remembering, one of the first times you played with him was down in Castle Pines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he was kind. <laughs> and wasn't it salsa music yeah, that like, you yeah. jumped in on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure if I saw a tape of that, I'd cringe But uh, on my part. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but that was the thing. Um, that was kind of the beginning of a little lesson, in, in uh, a big lesson, actually, in, in listen more and where do you fit? What can you add to this? Mm. What, how do you serve this piece of music? by what you're doing. Yeah, which is jazz. What's your favorite piece of jazz music? It's hard to say favorite of anything. I would say one that I come back to, if, uh, if you're listening and you haven't heard Oscar Peterson and Clark Terry, The Brotherhood of Man, I love that. Oscar Peterson, You Can't Go Wrong. Bill Evans on the piano, You Can't Go Wrong. Bill Evans and Toots Thielman's did a duo album, Piano and Harmonica, Affinity. I love it. And uh, check it out if you don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And Gene Harris. Uh, I had a friend who said, you know, like Oscar Peterson is a Cadillac and Gene Harris is a really good Ford. But Gene Harris, like for blues, you can't go wrong. 
of the pianists who have probably been a huge influence on me, Billy Joel and Bruce Hornsby, but Gene Harris because of the way he plays blues. Yeah. So. Yeah. And people know you most for, um, of course, around here, uh, playing with Hazel, um, our amazing friend, uh, in the jazz blues, uh, R&B, good old rock and roll and R&B. Um, but talk a little bit about country music and, Mm -hmm. and growing up with that and the piece that grew in you over time. Yeah. Well, it was early, like I mentioned, that Ronnie Millsap record, and he was, I mean, one of the biggest stars in country music and maybe in crossover. I mean, he was just a huge star in the 70s and 80s, right? Right. Um, My parents, my mom had a, and my grandma Goldsberry also had this record. I mean, there was millions and millions of them sold. Ronnie Millsap, it was almost like a song. He's standing there by the piano on the cover, you know. I can see him. (laughs) And so they'd be playing, and I would read the back cover the liner notes and I looked at who was playing who were the musicians and the piano playing piano was Hargis Pig Robbins and I was like what a what a nickname <laughs> I had knew nothing about him confident uh, name yeah confidence turns out he's uh, he was blind since he was a boy but he played on hundreds thousands of records in Nashville and uh, he was the guy for country music piano in Nashville and uh, you know like this uh, let me think what's that song by Charlie Rich I think it's Pig Robbins actually playing on the record Uh, let me think if I can think of it Uh, well Yeah, another huge influence, although I knew his name, but I didn't even really know what I was hearing or who he was, but I heard that piano thousands of times growing up, and it gets into you. I read a book, jazz pianist, Dana recommended it, uh, Kenny Werner, about playing piano and finding your sound, and one of the things he said that helped open me back up to country music was that he said, you know, whatever the music is you listened to when you were young, make no mistake, it's a huge influence on you. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Even if you don't think it's good music. Yeah. Well, it turns out country music, the best country music, is great music. And I, Amen. you know, I grew up hearing it, but then I went to college and I thought, well, I'm too cool for that. And jazz is where it's at and all that junk. But uh, through... You know how music works, and it certainly worked this way. Uh, Hazel, Hazel's drummer, Brian Mikulich, called. I think it was a Sunday morning. He called, hey, I'm playing, I got this church gig, and we're looking for a pianist twice a month. You should come over. And I told him to call you, and so you're going to hear from this guy. I said, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, turns out it was Mark Bradford leading. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. I, was great to, I was grateful to have a short season with him and yeah. Sharon. Um, also in the band was Carrie Connor, whose yeah. name I had heard for years around here. It's amazing. Great worship leader and musician. And so got to know Carrie and became friends. And uh, Carrie had been involved in a TV show, the Joey Canyon Show, or about to become a TV show. Right. And they were looking for a piano player. Now, on the, what do you call it? The pilot. The pilot episode. I mean, half the band on this 
show is from Nashville, and they brought up John Hobbs, who also is another guy. You've heard his piano playing on everything from Lionel Richie to uh, George Strait. Yeah. I mean, he was a yeah. Nashville guy, L.A. and then Nashville guy. He's amazing and still. He, he came up and played piano on the pilot, but uh, didn't have time to play on the series. So they were looking for somebody local to play piano. Carrie said to John Macy, oh, maybe try Matt Wiesner. And uh, so I ended up getting into this. And it brought, I mean, it was an amazing experience. Great band. And just, I mean, we would be Good the friends ha- now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We were the house band backing up Legends of Country who would come and sing one or two of their hits from the 60s, 70s, or 80s, or 90s. Yeah. And, it, I mean, these were songs I grew up hearing. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a thrill. But it brought country music back to me and realizing the best country music is great music. It's great music. Like anything. Yes. The best anything is great. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I remember you coming home and, and um, being blown away that it opened that piece of your heart again. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized being a... Uh, professional musician or being as good a professional musician as I can, one of the things you should be doing is doing your best to play as authentically any style that's you're asked to. And I generally have tried to do that, but boy, when it comes to playing traditional country music, it's like it is home because I grew up hearing it. So I, I know what it sounds like intimately. And uh, so that was, that was eye-opening. So you've mentioned a couple of people that were perhaps mentors from afar, um, and then Dana mentors uh, up close. Where would you like to expand uh, with your musical gift next, or where would you like to grow, or what uh, what would you like to draw closer to with your music next? It's a good question. I'm I'm still in a very busy season in my life, as most many middle-aged people are. I mean, I'm working a lot, and and so when it comes to music right now, I'm still very much a lot of my practice time is devoted to what do I need to learn next for the next job, right? And that's right now a lot of church stuff. And so I, all that to say, good question. Yeah, I know you've written a song that I need to finish my part on. I'm excited about that in the future. Um, you wrote a great chorus, and I, it's up to me to finish the verses, and uh, I need to prioritize that. Yeah. That's in my future. Um, we love to write together. We just You're right. We don't have the time right now, but we mm-hmm. will. We're taking our time to do this podcast, which I absolutely adore. Yes. I hope we... I know, I, I know we'll do it for a long time. Yeah. So, But I know time will op- also open up for us to write more again. Yeah. So... Yeah. One of the things we love about this podcast is, um, yeah, there's not a lot in life you get to, to stick to your creative flow. Right. (laughs) With this (laughs) one. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. So we really appreciate you continually listening and all the feedback you give us because it sure is a lot of fun. There's no money attached to it. There's no anything attached to it. We just, uh, get to be creative together. Yeah. So I guess we're in, in turn, maybe writing our song through this podcast right now. Yeah. yeah. Alone in a, in a room with a grand piano, what would you play first? I'd play this thing I've been playing since I was a kid. Maybe it's a comfort thing, but I keep going back to uh, a cassette tape I wore out when I was a kid. My cousin John had this cassette, and I was like, what is this? And then it became a huge hit on the radio. The way it is. Mm-hmm. 
know what I'm surprised about right now? I don't get to hear you play much anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really nice. I know yeah. my friends have always thought I sit at your feet and listen to you play every night. But well, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. On any level. <laughs> yeah, we have a story about that we might share. But <laughs> um, So music mentors you have, you're a huge piece of your life. And I'm, I think I'm going to pull a couple of... Um, your mom made me a book when we got married, which was such ladies out there. It was such an incredible gift. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I think she did it for all three of us daughter-in-laws, but she gathered together the pictures over your lifetime. And I in turn did it for our daughter-in-law, Keith, Mm -hmm. when Tanner and Keith got married. Um, and just your journey through life. And she put it in a photo album, Mm -hmm. very simple gift, but, very beautiful gift. So I think I'm going to pull a couple of those out because um, when you were a child and, and you grew up on a farm in Iowa um, and others had farms around you and horses, others would, your brothers would go outside and your cousins would go outside and play with the tractors and all. And, and more often than not, what I'm told is you were inside and I have a couple of pictures, mm-hmm. uh, one in diapers with headphones on your <laughs> head and the other one with a uh, one of those Fisher Price <laughs> Red and white with the yellow arm. Record player. Record players of sorts. Right, quote unquote. <laughs> toy record Yeah, player. Uh, your first one. So um, anyway, talk a little bit about that. Well, that's that's it. I mean, that was me being drawn to it. Radio and music and records very early. Yeah. I wanted to wear those headphones. Yeah. Um, even the radio had the blue or the amber light with the dial. I mean, something, I don't know. There was something magical about the whole thing. It still is. And do you get the opportunity to do that right now? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm a blessed guy because those two things that I, I was first drawn to my earliest memories I get to do for a living, yeah. you know, got into radio actually in high school, Humboldt, Iowa, Probably when you were in Fort Dodge running a hotel, Harry. Probably. Um, I did a weekend shift at KHBT at the time. It was, this was 1991, 92. And um, at that time, it was still a beautiful music format, which is the industry lingo for, I think, elevator music. You know, you know, the Anita Kerr singers and Ray Conniff singers and, all those easy instrumental versions of pop tunes. Um, they were playing reel-to-reel tapes of those that I think they'd had since the 70s, you know. But I was, music aside, I was on cloud nine. I was working at a radio station, reading news and funeral announcements and whatever, you know, Saturday afternoons and nights. And uh, continued on that, got into a, a rock station in Sioux City, Um KSEZ, C98. Sioux City, Iowa. Sioux City, Iowa. And it was through that work that eventually we met. We did. Because you worked there in sales at a different time. But we met through a mutual friend, Chris, at his birthday party. And then... uh, Chris that does the Hey Harry. We love you, Chris. Yeah. And then there was a a moment. um, I was uh, the program director of an AM news station. And South Sioux City, Nebraska, high school girls, legendary, great basketball team. And they were playing somewhere out of state. And we had sold a package of commercials to cover this game and sent somebody to go call the game. And during that game, President Clinton was impeached. Mm. And I was at the station to run the board for the game. And 
I called our GM. I said, look, I know we're in a game, but the president's been impeached and we're a news station. And the answer was, uh, we've sold these commercials. We've got to stay with the game. And I, it was not long after um, a friend I'd worked with at Z98 had gotten into public radio in South Dakota. And he called and he said, hey, we're looking for an afternoon newsreader during All Things Considered. You should consider this. It's a great job. And with that in mind, public radio is a nonprofit business with more of a mission mind behind what's happening and more of a, I mean, at that point, South Dakota Public Radio was carrying the impeachment hearings wall to wall without thought of how do we make up commercial time or what's this going to do to our listenership? It's a public service. And that was really attractive to me and it still is. So uh, thankfully, I got that job up in Vermilion, South Dakota, and uh, uh, even when we moved to Colorado, I've stayed on there on contract and, and produce a Saturday night Americana music show for them. That's going on 16 years now. So. What's that called? It's called On Record, Harry. You can get yeah. that online as well. SDPB.org. <laughs> yeah. One cool thing is, um, I, I forget this, but then I'll watch a local television production in South Dakota, and they're still using my voice as the intro. <laughs> like they'll show a picture of Mount Rushmore, and then I say, you're watching a production of South Dakota Public Television, you know. Like so radio it's, voice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of broke you into a little, we'll get to where you're at now, but um, a little television. You were the guy on on their public uh, television side, Uh I was one of them. During I did I did some fundraise, live fundraising, which, funny enough, I'll say, to this day, talking into a microphone, I feel completely comfortable with. But you put a camera up and make it live, suddenly my palms are sweating. I can't breathe. <laughs> that was definitely true when I was fundraising on television live. Right? Ooh, That's, Nelly. Yeah. Do I have a... Uh headphone hair (laughs) right now (laughs) what am i looking like yeah it was not good yeah i through that i tried a little bit of television when we were in sioux city ktiv is the nbc station there and the leading i think still the leading news station there and uh i was a weekend reporter like on sunday afternoons and evenings i would go and whatever i was assigned go out and shoot video and make a report or whatever they asked and uh Again, I, there was a lot I loved about it, but I came to realize if you get to the top of that industry, you're working nights, and family, you know, family-wise, that was of less interest. And also, I was sent out to take video of a car crash, and it was a teenage girl, and I, I realized, um, I just wasn't I, for you. Yeah, that wasn't my wasn't my jam. Yeah. So I remember when you came home that night, and. Uh, God bless the people that have the gift right. uh, to rise above and do that so These, that we can know what's going on. Yeah, but, the things need to be documented, yes. but I couldn't, yeah, yeah, it was hard for me. Yeah, you couldn't, I think your words were, I couldn't stick a microphone in somebody's face when yeah. you, all you could think about was the young girl that had just passed. Yeah. So that leads you, so we tried that, or you tried that, and we kept um, praying and thinking, what's next for us? And... Um, we both felt very led uh, that Colorado was next. Well, we got married and came out here on our honeymoon. I chose the honeymoon. I mean, I kind of planned it. So we laugh now because 
<laughs> I planned a tour of the Coors Brewery, <laughs> Rocky's a Rockies game, game, and a James Taylor. A James Taylor concert at Red Rocks. Which was, all of those were great. Um, <laughs> but, but you add them up, it sounds like a, <laughs> like I planned it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but I think we drove around and listened to some John Denver and thought, huh. Yeah, this this is good. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, it was crazy how we came out here. I left a radio job to come out here and sell sofas. Anyone well, your or, first job was... Right. The first job I took was cleaning carpets out here. Yeah. And uh, didn't do that job because I had gotten a job, Casey Fine Furniture for anybody in Denver. You probably yeah. remember those commercials. Yeah. And they had opened a new store in Parker, so they hired a ton of people. Um, obviously with low standards for sales ability because they hired me <laughs> and I became a example of how not to be a salesperson at the store. What's the Mike, the, well, not the GM, but the sales director would come by and he'd say, and I saw somebody over, they, they would always be, uh, baking cookies to give you the smell of welcome home in the store, you know, but <laughs> it was funny. It's like a great salesperson can be moving the process along without the customer feeling it, but I don't, I don't have those skills. So I either clumsily moved it along in their presence, or I would just go hide by the cookie bin for a minute, and give them a minute to think it over. <laughs> he was known as the cookie guy. Yeah. I think they told you if you wanted to skip your turn when it was your turn, you could just go get a cookie. And so <laughs> Matt ate a lot of cookies. <laughs> Which is not a good idea when you're on a commission basis. <laughs> no, so no. thankfully, Colorado Public Radio had just started a technical operations center. And I saw an ad in the Denver Post, the want ads, a paper want ad they were looking for somebody who could work in their operation center and knew how to run next gen software and i we had just installed that in south dakota i knew i knew it inside out because you were program director when you left south yeah dakota. yeah and so again thankfully uh i got in the door there and was in operations for a good six years or so senior technical operations manager mm -hmm. yes and then carla the program director of classical came by one day and just said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for more announcers for classical. You used to be on the air, right? Or something like that. And I said, yeah, I've never done classical. She said, well, let's do some overnight practice shifts. And, uh, I did. And I mean, it was awesome. Um, classical is just its own thing though, because there's so much to know. So, and, and the pronunciations alone. Precision. Precision oriented. I love it. So how do you do that and sound like yourself? And I appreciate that CPR classical is, from what I can tell listening across the country, one of the few stations that would, that is, that is more open to, you don't need to have a PhD to be an announcer there or even pretend like you have a PhD, but rather this is good music. I love it. And I'm just trying to introduce you to this great music. Right. And so thankfully that works for me as a fit. Um, even I remember early on, I was, I was thinking, well, I'm on a classical radio station, so I'm going to talk like this uh, before I play this concerto. <laughs> and I was encouraged to know, please sound like yourself. Bring yourself. Yeah. 
to and, the table. And so that's been uh, that's been another huge gift. Yeah. And you just lost a. Uh, speaking of mentors, uh, uh, short but uh, very deep and meaningful mentor friendship mm-hmm. um, you had with Ray White, mm-hmm. um, who we just lost. Yeah, I think everybody felt that with Ray. And I was very fortunate to get to spend quite a bit of time with Ray. And we went to see some shows together. Um, yes, we did. And, you know, he would say kind of casually, yeah, I interviewed them. I know them. Big stars. Peter Gabriel, Roger Waters, you know. Uh, David Sanborn and uh, Bob James came to Botanic <laughs> Gardens and... He was like, yeah, I know those guys. And I was like, okay. But we go there and we go backstage and from across the room, they're like, Ray, what are you doing in Denver? (laughs) You know, they know, they knew him. And uh, Didn't Roger Waters call in and do a tribute through CPR Classical? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, And so that was Ray. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody loved Ray. Yeah. You know, and it's... (laughs) Yeah, just true. Yeah. But he communicated that friendliness on the air in a way that um, just in a few years of doing afternoons at CPR Classical, listeners just connected with. And um, so that's definitely something to aspire to, you know, remembering. Because it's easy. You've got a shift to do and you sit down and you're in a room by yourself. Or in this case right now, I'm in a closet in our bedroom by myself. But remember, you're talking to, sometimes I'll put a picture of you up mm. just to remind myself I'm talking to people. Yeah. I'm not talking to a laptop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. So, Ray, definitely, uh, anytime I think of him, I remember that for sure. And his warm, generous, he's one of those guys that was working at the top of the industry, top of the world. He broadcast, when Roger Waters did the Berlin Wall concert, Ray was the host for Westwood One, you know, around the world. Right. But he was the most inclusive, generous soul with me and humble. He could have hung out with whoever he wanted to, and and he hung out with us. Yeah. Where would you like to, speaking of mentors, music, radio, um, how they go hand in hand in your heart, you talked about the commercialization, the commodity of music. Um, if you had a magic wand, where would you want to see music go from here? What would you tell the children of the world um, mm. to do with music, to how to enjoy it, mm-hmm. how to uh, take it? And um, we often talk about music as such an incredible healing gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you had a, a megaphone around the globe, mm-hmm. um, what would you say? I remember reading a thing. Jamie Abersold is a jazz educator. By the way, Dana Marsh, one of those mentors, uh, studied with him just when Jamie was getting started. Jamie is known for these. I'll, I'll call him Jamie, you know. I've never met him. But <laughs> Mr. Abersold is known for these play-along jazz CDs or tracks now where it's a tune and you buy a book and you get this track to play along with and you practice the tune and you get to play with a rhythm section at home that way. And he made a whole industry out of that. But Dana studied with him when he was just getting started. So Dana said he would take a lesson and Jamie would 
send home a reel to reel and say, practice with this and then come back when you need another lesson, you know, sort of thing. But uh, Jamie Ebersold in one of his booklets, I remember he wrote, how different would this world be if music education were what it should be? And if people knew more about music, they would demand more of the music they're hearing. And I think for me, I would encourage kids to make music. And if I could wave a magic wand, more kids would make music. Because once you start making it and you learn more about it, you do demand more of it. And you can enjoy it on a deeper level. I mean, a Brahms symphony, you know, it's 40 minutes long. Do I have time to sit down? How often do I have time to sit down and listen to a 40-minute symphony? Almost never right now in my life. But the funny thing is, the eighth time you listen to a Brahms symphony, you get a lot more out of it than you do the first time. I mean, it's like a great piece of literature, you know. Um, I say that, and I love pop music. I love great pop music. Um, I I love even some not great pop music because it's fun and it feels good. So I'm not against that. But great art can teach you something that I think might make our whole world a better place if more people knew about it. So um, it's not like Brahms is a total secret in the world, but for a lot of people, he's just the guy with the beard, you know? So if I could wave a magic wand, more kids would make music and learn about it. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. By the way, this is kind of funny not doing this with you on the side. Yeah. I am growing my skills on this side. You're doing of the great. You're <laughs> Thank doing you. Great. Um, my backup is not with me on this side. He's on the other side of the piano right now. You've got me talking a lot more than I normally do. So, oh, hey, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So, there's a time machine right here, Matt Wiesner. And you can push a button and you can go back in time. Uh, maybe there's a few people mm-hmm. you'd like to visit and learn from. Yeah. Who would it be? And um, why? Two come to mind. One is my grandpa Wiesner, because I was very young when he died. I was, I guess, third grade, but not old enough to really have a lot of conversations with him. I just loved to talk to him. I didn't know him that well. Um, I knew him through my dad and grandma, mostly. I also think of Bach. And uh, we live near Centennial Airport. Maybe you can hear that <laughs> guy coming in We're for a We're not editing this time. <laughs> um, I think of Bach, who was, in his day, thought of as a great organist. To hear him play the organ, that's where I'd go. Live. Yeah. Wow. In person. Would you have a question for him when you got done listening? Uh, sprechen Sie Deutsch? <laughs> Bach never left Germany in his lifetime. It would be, it would be something to about what's he visualizing because so much of his uh, this counterpoint baroque music i mean if you visualize it it's like this beautiful map Mm. um was he seeing that or did he just naturally that's how he wrote music i mean i'd be curious to ask about that yeah so the writing process the beauty that went with it the Mm -hmm. visuals i love that yeah anybody else Uh, another one is beethoven over in the corner, kind of the cranky guy in the corner of the bar having his beer, you know. Uh, what was he really like? You know, And he was partially cranky because he, the greatest musician in history was losing his hearing. Yeah. 
So when I met you, um, one of the funny things to me when we were getting to know each other almost 20 years ago was you were finally brave enough to tell me one day that you constantly hear music. You have a perfect pitch and music ear um, as well, but you constantly have music Mm -hmm. going on in your head. In fact, it became a controversy for us at one point because you do have a gift in music. I know that you see the gift of wanting to do it, but I think you were drawn to that because you were created Mm -hmm. to use this gift. And so, um, yeah, so the music was constantly playing and still is constantly playing in your head. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, when you mentioned that, I realized I didn't notice it. But yes, The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby was still playing in my head while you were talking right there. It's been playing this whole time. Um, Yeah, on the gift side, I don't fully understand this. I don't, like if you ask me to sing an A, my A won't be perfect. It's close. But I'm not going to look at the keyboard, but that's a D, G, uh, A, A flat. I mean, I didn't practice that. Yeah, he was looking at me, not the keyboard. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so where, what is that? I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's, it means I know what the notes on the piano are, and I think it's because I've spent so much time with the instrument. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't even know I could do that until one day, I think it was in high school or college, I had heard that people could do that. And I thought, I wonder if I could, and I could. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, Is what's that in terms of a gift versus working on it? Yeah. Well, I didn't, I don't think I earned that one. Yeah. I was just given it, given it. Right. I, I think it's one of those things, you know, you have certain things you have a natural aptitude or capacity for, and... That's, for me, one of them. Okay, we have one more question that we ask all of our guests. Mm -hmm. What would you like to throw out just over the fence? A piece of wisdom, humor, uh, something you want people to know, a quote, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. This one I knew was coming, so I've thought a little bit about it, and I think my answer is still the same as what I talked about in December on our family episode, and that is what you focus on expands. Mm. And as we have gone through the last year plus, the world is crazy. Yes. But what are you going to spend your time thinking about? You'll get more of it, whatever it is. Um, And I, I still, boy, it's profitable to divide people up. Mm. and have them pointing fingers at each other. It's very profitable online and social media. That's that's what I can't stop thinking about right now. We're being torn apart by something that's very profitable, and that's pointing our fingers at each other. Disagree all you want, but we're generally speaking not enemies. It's all about the money. It always comes down to money and power, but money primarily, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Well, it's been great having you. Well, on thanks. The show, thanks for Matt. having me over or down here, actually. <laughs> yeah, on the lower level. Right? And now I'll just end the day by sitting at your feet while you play. Mm. Okay. Okay.